listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years' experience with classic, vintage, sport, and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, Call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc., 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. Hi, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. If you like to play golf, Magnolia Valley Golf Club is offering some specials this week. Give them a call up there at 727-847-2342. They have a 9-hole executive course, and they have an 18-hole par 72. And they've got great food on the 19th hole. So call my friend Pete at 727-847-2342. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. One minute left to top off the evening with a treat from our snack bar. Still time if you hurry. Last call for refreshments, folks. Go right this second to get something good to eat and drink to enjoy now or during the rest of the show. The finest quality ingredients are in the fixings of the delicious foods you'll find waiting to tempt your appetite at the snack bar. Extra special good hamburgers, wonderful donuts, ice-cold, thirst-crunching drinks. Pizza generously sliced, steaming hot, fresh coffee, ice cream in many flavors. Showtime, folks. Enjoy the show. As you leave the theater, folks, please be careful. Don't let this happen to your car. Be sure to remove the speaker before you leave. If you should accidentally pull a speaker loose, please turn it in at our snack bar or box office. Thanks. From Gilbert Autorama comes the excitement and competition of the famous Indianapolis Speedway, featuring the exclusive new Gilbert flyover chicane. Watch the stock cars in slow motion. Up and go. Gilbert makes cars rugged enough to take this kind of punishment. And look at the great assortment of Gilbert cars to choose from. The roughest, toughest, most realistic cars on the road. Past the timer, through the lap counter. Now with stock cars up to the Gilbert flyover chicane. Only this time in midair, the cars change lanes. And look, just like that, your Gilbert car track can become a horse race track with these exclusive lively trotters. Get all these Indianapolis Speedway extras separately and be sure to get your complete Gilbert Autorama layout. Look at Gilbert cars first. They last. Great gassers. Internal combustion racers for you and your son. They burn real fuel. Fuel them up, start them up, and tune them up till they sound just right. They slipstream and pass each other at high speeds on their own bank track. Race your son in your own backyard. Great gassers. Go get them.
Okay, you are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm back in the studio, and I'm your host, Robert. And, uh, but we had a great week last week in uh, West Palm Beach at the Palm Beach Auction at the Palm Beach County Convention Center. Anyway, hey, Cedric, how you doing? Hey, good evening to you. So, uh, anyway, we got a really great show tonight. i got a very special guest uh, on the show this evening. And, of course, we're going to play a couple cool songs. So, having said that, if you want to run to your computer and Google Tantalk1340.com, you can see us live in the studio. If you're somewhere else outside of the uh, Tri-County area here, you can pull us up on the computer because it is streamed live on the Internet. So, make sure you tell all your fans. And uh, actually, I was talking to a radio station down there in West Palm Beach, and they are interested in possibly syndicating the show. What do you think about that, Cedric? That would be huge, man. Yeah, they got real interested in it. And uh, so I won't say anything yet, because I never like to count my little chickies before they're hatched. Yeah, you don't want to talk about it too much either, because then all the other shows here at the Tan Talk Radio Network are going to be blowing up your phone. <laughs> hey, you got to help us out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, well, we're all... It's a one big happy family anyway, but... Uh, Anyway, you got that first little uh, little record. It's an oldie but a goodie, yeah. indeed. Let's play that, and then we'll come right back to you guys. Little Ricky Nelson. A little Ricky Nelson. Hey, 
listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Car sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Grabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Grabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Grabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Krabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. All right, we're back. And in case you just tuned in and turned your radio on, your AM radio, your transistor, we are, or I am, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And again, you can Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live in the studio. Now, having said that, let me go to our little recap on uh, last week. Last week, I was in Palm Beach. I was down there with the Palm Beach uh, Auction Group. And uh, I'll tell you what, it was really neat because I was there with Mike Flynn. I was there with his whole family because it's a family-run operation. And Kelly did an excellent job. She runs the front office. Flo's in there. That's his mom. Uh, Lori and Martin, that's his sister and brother-in-law. Hook, the you know key guy there that does all the you know transporting and stuff. I mean, they got a really, really great uh, group of people to work with. And uh, Bruce is another one of the drivers and stuff. But the, or, the auction went extremely well on Friday night. Uh, on Thursday is when it was basically open house, so everybody could come in from, let's say, I think it was... Uh, 11 to like four o'clock in the afternoon although people stayed later and um it was it was neat there was a close to 300 cars just an amazing cross-section of cars i mean we had uh what do we have there geez we had one car that i thought was really really cool which was a 1931 chrysler roadster that somebody had modified and from 10 feet away it looked like a stock original car exquisitely restored just a beautiful beautiful stunning car i mean everything was cool about it but once you got in and you looked at it a little closer there's a couple of things that kind of gave it away, and that was in the the uh, cockpit area, and it had a tilt column with a late mile strain column in it, and it had two little AC ducts in it. So then I decided to go pop the hood. I didn't really know much about the car, so I figured I'd check it out. And under the hood was, and I was proud to say, was a Ford 351 Windsor. So for a change, there was a Ford motor under the hood, although the original straight eight was long gone. But whoever built this car did an excellent job of basically building himself a fairly reliable street driver. Uh, it was really, really cool. The only drawback to driving that car around, which I did a little bit, 
um, is because you sit kind of low in the in the uh, cabin area, so to speak, and then with the big boot in the back and uh, you know the convertible top boot, you uh, it, it impaired your visibility. And of course, those old cars always had those small diameter four or five inch diameter mirrors, and you really can't see much. And it had side mounts and just long front end. I mean, the front end had to have been geez ten feet long. It seemed like it anyway. Um, but what a cool, cool piece. And uh, another car that was there that brought an absolute astronomical amount of money was this 1958 DeSoto, one of five known to exist. Well, five known to have been built, but we're not sure how many exist. I think it's down to one or two, and it was that rare injection car that they built. Absolutely stunning car. car brought way over $400,000. Um, it was projected to bring close to a half, half a mil, that is. Um, not a bad price for that car. And, uh, I mean, we really did have a good selection of cars. We did have a good selection of buyers. That was the cool thing. You know, a lot of times, you know, auctions, they're always worried that there's going to be enough buyers. There's always plenty of sellers, but buyers is the key thing. Excuse me. <clears throat> but nonetheless, the car did very well. Another car there that was very, very, did very well was uh, Whitey, uh, Ralph Westcott, a local guy here, a uh, good friend of ours, comes from the salvage yard business. I've known Whitey since I was a little punk kid, and I was 16 years old, and I used to go to his junkyard over off Starkey Road and uh, wrench uh, little odds and ends off from my, my beater cars I had back in the early 70s. But anyway, Whitey brought a stunning collection of 56, 57 uh, Chevy trucks, and one in particular is uh, was the... GMC Cameo. Actually, they're all GMCs. I don't think any of them were Chevrolets. And um, this particular car, or this particular truck, was one of one. It was purpose-built for the Autorama show. It was a display vehicle or a show vehicle, and it had a lot of very, very, very unique features. And there's an interesting story behind the car, but without going into a lot of detail, the restoration of the car was an older restoration. And uh, so it wasn't perfect, but it was still a stunning car. In other words, the only imperfections of the car, really, it was just older paint. Um, the chrome was in excellent shape. The aluminum, the stainless, all that stuff was in great shape. It had a, a, quite a few unique features. Um, if you go to the website, Palm Beach Auction, you can see a complete list of all the cars, and that particular vehicle was one of the feature vehicles. And that vehicle brought close to 200000 and that's what they projected that car would, would bring. So having said that, um, that car did very, very well. There was a 58 Nomad there that was an an amazing car, and I know I use the word amazing all the time. I use it probably too frequently, but this car really was. It was truly a neat piece. Uh, flawlessly restored. And, uh, you know, air suspension, everything like that, power seats, windows, just a really, really cool car. And uh, a gentleman out of Canada bought that car, and it was a really, really neat piece. But at any rate, so the auction was extremely successful, and I had a really, really good time, and I'm looking forward to the next event that they have, which will be sometime in March or April. So, when that comes around, we will be talking about that. Um, a couple of things we're going to go here too. My special guest of the evening is kind of a unique guy. Um, he's as soon as I mention his name, uh, you will know who he is. Uh, he has done some really really cool custom cars. He basically comes out of the fifties uh, era, did some really wild stuff, and I brought in with me a model tonight, because I don't know about a lot of you guys, but I was an old model builder back when I was a kid, because that was kind of what kids did back in the 60s. You know, we just bought AMT kits and, uh, you know, uh, Ravel kits and monograms. Ravels and monograms were usually a little bit more difficult. The skill level was higher. But monograms was, uh, AMT was your basic uh, entry-level kit, and they always had the three-in-one kits, which is cool. But anyway, I brought in tonight, and I'll hold it up in case you can see it on the video. I don't know if you can or not, but it's the Lil Coffin. And the box that I have, and I'm not sure where I've got the model. I actually have it laying around somewhere. 
probably in another box. But I, this is a late 60s, early 70s version, okay? And the, the kit originally came out, I think, around 1966. And then, of course, you know, they revised kits every so often. So I've got the not quite – I don't have the first version. I have the second version. So this is probably 1970, 69, 70. But it still has the price on the side of the box. It has the number on it, which is PC94, which is the the way the, the models were, were um, designated back in those days. So you could find the kit number. You could look it up in the catalog. And it's a 124 scale, and on the pr- side it has the price 150. So that's how you know that it was, you know, an early kit. You know, and then later they were two dollars, and then later they would have two dollars on the side, and sometimes they'd have three and four as the prices went up on these kits over the years. So our guest this evening uh, was originally involved with the Lil Coffin. So um, that's all the clues I'm going to give you tonight. And uh, what do we got here? We got another. Uh, we got a guest cl- on the line. We've got another classic coming up here. Another classic. Another classic coming up. Okay, well, let's. Uh, he kind of wants to hear that song, so let's go to the commercials, call right. a guest, and then we'll bring our guest on, and uh, let's go from there. Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great pizza shop right here in downtown Clearwater, Bro's Pizzeria, voted number one in the city of Clearwater. They're located at 547 South Fort Harrison Avenue. They have great New York-style pizza, as well as delicious lasagna, spaghetti and meatballs, manicotti, linguine. And if you're in the neighborhood for lunch, they have great hot and cold sandwiches and appetizers. So call 727-441-6025 for takeout and deliveries, or stop by for a veal parmesan dinner and a nice glass of vino. That's Bro's Pizzeria. Check out their website and watch my friend Olti create a spectacular pizza before your very eyes. What would you like on your pizza? Call Bro's Pizzeria, 727-441-6025. That's 727-441-6025. And tell them Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. As most of you know, I'm in the car business, and often I need cars towed. Well, Kotaka's Towing has all the trucks and equipment to meet your needs. Whether it's long distance, short distance, or just around the corner, they can get it done. Kotaka's Towing, located at 1141 Court Street in Clearwater. Also, they have a full-service repair and body shop to meet all your automotive needs. So give my friends Lefty and Joey a call at Kotaka's Towing at 727-447-1952. And be sure to mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you might get a discount. Oh, hey now, you better listen to me, every one of you. We got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of work to do. Forget about your women and that water can. Today you're working for the man.
Radio and Cars, and if you're paying close attention, 
They just mentioned who our special guest for the evening is. But let me tell you about him a little bit. This guy's been around since the mid-50s, like I said earlier, okay? I mean, you talk about candy-colored customs. You talk about cars that have been on the cover of magazines, autoramas, car shows, world of wheels, all around this country, okay? Uh, cars that have been in magazines, hot rod, car craft, uh, all that cool stuff. Car model science, uh, car model magazines. I mean, this is an amazing legend that we have on tonight. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show the bubble top king daryl starbird are you there daryl yes i am hey great to be on your program how you doing doing super so you're way out in let's see you're in oklahoma now you know you're no longer in wichita kansas right with toto right. and uh, we've been down Dorothy. here in oklahoma right outside of tulsa almost 20 years now although i built most of my cars and had you know my, most of my career in wichita kansas like you said mm-hmm. so anyway so how did you get started in the Classic custom, or actually, it wasn't classic back then. The custom car biz, <laughs> right? Uh, actually, I started my shop in 1954, and uh, I really started uh, to be a custom car builder. Although uh, most of the car building at that time was being done on the West Coast, very little in Mid America where I started with, in Wichita, Kansas. So it was an all new thing, and uh, it was my first love. I dropped out of college. After taking about a hundred hours of engineering to start up my custom car shop, and of course that was 1954, and I've been at it ever since. So, what was the first car that you built? Actually, the first car I had in a magazine was a 1947 Cadillac, and it was in uh, Rod and Custom magazine in 1957. And uh, matter of fact, I still have the car, and it's in the museum now. Wow, that's cool. Now, what got you into the custom? car aspect of it. I mean, a lot of guys were building high rods and stuff like that, so customs cars was kind of a new thing back in that era, wasn't it? Exactly. It was, uh, like I say, I, I really like futuristic uh, things, and I, you know, at one time I even planned on being an aeronautical engineer, and I think that kind of carried over into my car uh, design uh, feature, wanting to see a car designed aerodynamic and have nice clean lines like the aircraft industry. So I think that's where the custom car thing really come to life for me. And, of course, all through high school, I loved to look at the magazines and and uh, had my first car and, you know, did some custom work on it. So customs is always my first love, although I have built some real wild uh, rods over the years, you know, the Big Deuce, the Big T. They were monogram model cars, and, uh, of course, they were hot rods. So actually I've been in love with both facets of it. Now, the uh, back in the day, the, everything you did was basically metal and lead, correct? I mean, it was there was no such thing as Bondo back in those days or plastic filler, correct? You're right. And, uh, of course, we had to uh, hammer weld and finish the metal as close as we could get it uh, by hand in them days. We didn't even have English rolls or, or any of the tools, high-tech tools they have today. So everything was done with a hammer and a dolly and a settling torch. And, of course, the seams were then filled with lead. Because we, like you say, we had no plastic fillers, so it, it was a, a very tedious and uh, took a lot of skill and practice to to build with metal like that. Would you consider that a lost art, or would you say people are starting to kind of take a little bit interest in it, and it's kind of slowly coming back? You know, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. It is uh, slowly coming back, and uh, uh, you know, people see the value of the the metal working and and the metal finishing and and the lead over a plastic filler, which can be misused very badly by putting way too much on a car. So, uh, you know, there's been uh, 
like you say, a resurgence of the of the lead and the metalworking. Now, how about aluminum? Did you use uh, aluminum in much of your fabrication back in those days, or not? No, I really didn't, although I did build some full-body dragsters back out of aluminum, of course, like John Weeby, a famous uh, drag racer in the 60s. I built his full-body uh, front-engine dragster, uh, you know, a full-body all-aluminum car. So I worked with some aluminum, but that wasn't really my, my thing other than just a few, you know, competition cars. Now, one of the cars that you did back then was a uh, 57 Thunderbird, and that was, what, about 58, 59? Yeah, we actually built that in 59, and it was a 57 T-Bird. It was called the Pearl. Mm-hmm. It was the first uh, full-bodied car to have a full chrome undercarriage and, of course, extensive custom work on it, also fully redesigned. And I took that car to the NHRA Nationals, which at that time was held in Indianapolis, Along to drags, they had a, a, a national car show, and I won that car show in 1951, and that kind of put me on the map nationally, uh, or started to put me on it, recognized nationally, because uh, Carcraft at that time also named my shop, Star Custom Shop, the number one custom shop in the country that particular year after I won that award in Detroit. Wow, that's that's a heck of an honor. Yeah, was, for those days, that was something to be from mid-America and still be competing against the West Coast and the East Coast and Detroit and whatever you not. So, you know, it was a real, real plug for me. So now your peers back in those days, if you want to use the term peers, were basically what, like the Alexander Brothers out of Detroit and, of course, George Barris and Cushenberry and Winfield out of uh, the East, the West Coast, right? Well, actually, Winfield's out of Arizona, isn't he? Or is he out of uh, California? No, he was actually out of Modesto, California to start with. Okay. And he did do some work in Arizona later, but yeah, he was out of California. Actually, Balon, uh, uh, Winfield, Barris. Actually, Cushberry worked with me, so he was you know, right in my age or my group. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the A brothers were more in my time. And uh, so we all, all three looked up to Barris and Balon and Winfield, which are already pretty well established in California. They were like five or six years ahead of us, so uh, they were more, you know, who we looked up to. Mm-hmm. So they would have been your mentors, so to speak, if you wanted exactly. to use the term. Right. I gotcha. Okay. And then what did you do? Did you kind of pick a theme now? Because in 19, was it 60, 61 is when you came out, when you built the Predicta, which was basically one of the first bubble top cars, right? Right. It was actually the first bubble top car in the custom car world. Now, Detroit had played around with bubbles a little bit before that. But we were, or the Predictor was the first bowl top car in the custom car world, yes. And uh, how did that concept, how did that whole idea come come to you? I mean, what made you decide, hey, you know what, I'm going to try a bubble top. That's kind of a cool idea. Let's see what happens. Right. And, uh, you know, that came from, like I say, the, I was brought up in Wichita, Kansas, and, of course, Boeing, Cessna, and, and all the major aircraft people were in Wichita, Kansas at that time. And uh, being in, in that and my dad also worked at Boeing, and so I really liked, the, like I said earlier, the aircraft aerodynamic uh, effect or look, to, and try to adapt that over into the cars. And of course, Bell, Bell helicopters had bubble tops on them, so to speak. And I happened to run onto a guy that knew the process of making a bubble top, and that's where I first came up with the bubble top. Okay, and then that car, the Predicta. What was the what was what did that car start life out as? What what was the basis of that car? That was a 1956 Thunderbird, and uh, a two-place Thunderbird, and uh, actually had gotten uh, hit by a train. So 
I started with very little. As you know, the Predict is almost basically a handmade car. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I even I ended up not even using the engine or, or running gear out of the T-Bird. I actually converted over to the big Hemi uh, 392 Chrysler. So, uh, there wasn't much left of the T-Bird, so to speak. <laughs> but, and, but it did turn out to be the Predict, of course. Now, that car won numerous awards. I mean, that car was on tour for a long time, wasn't it? Yeah, and of course, I still have the car here in the museum, and, and it's still being featured, you know, occasionally in different shows around the country. And you're right, it was made in a model car that sold, uh, Monogram Model Company made a model car of it. It sold uh, over half a million model cars worldwide, not just nationwide. And uh, it's appeared in about every major car show in the country, as well as several uh, shows in foreign countries. So it's it's been around uh, a lot of years, and... Uh, it's probably one of the most famous uh, custom cars, so to speak, uh, in the world. Now, that car, um, what color was that car originally? Was it, because I think in some of the magazines it was blue, but I remember if the, because the, I actually had the monogram model, but it was mm-hmm. red or kind of like a candy apple color, red, reddish on the on the box. Exactly. What happened on that, when monogram approached me to make the model car, or make the predict to end the model car, uh, at that time, uh, they thought red would sell much better than blue as far as a model car goes, being a more attractive color. So they wanted to me to paint it red so they could make their model car red, which I did, although it only stayed uh, red for a few months. And then we went back to blue, and I think it's been blue ever since. So, uh, But the red was introduced as a red model to start with. Later down the line, when it was re introduced even in England for instance it was done in blue but uh, the original model was in in red so. okay now I want to d- tell us a little bit about your museum real quick because you've got a museum and almost all your cars are in there and then there's other people's cars in there and this is open to the public right exactly you know we started the museum almost 20 years ago now and my original thought was to to you know have a place to house some of my more famous custom. And you're right, I have about 27 or 8 of them in the museum. Of course, I've built, you know, almost 200 cars over the years, so a small percentage of them in the museum, but they're they're the more famous or radical vehicles that i built over the years. And uh, But it's also a Hall of Fame, which uh, we show. Uh, the museum holds about 50-some cars. About half of them are mine and half of them are other builders that we have inducted into the Hall of Fame, cars that they've built over the years. And so we kind of rotate the other 25. Uh, they come and go, usually in a year or two's time. So uh, we've had about every famous car you can think of, you know, over the years in the museum at one time or another. So it's become a, a place to come see, of course. It's right outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Well, that's super now. Um, now, some of the car, some of the new guys that have been involved with you is like Troy Trepeno has been with you. Uh, Chip Foose has been involved with you. His dad's been involved with you. And Jesse James, right? They've kind of uh, all collaborated with you on either been involved in the museum or you've done some work back and forth. Is that, I mean, talk about that for a second. Oh, yeah. Of course, uh Connington, Boyd Connington, uh, uh, Chip Foos uh, were inducted into the Hall of Fame, and of course we've become close friends over the years. And uh, Jesse James, I did two Monster Garage episodes with Jesse, where we built uh, a car, you know, in five days. And uh, one of them was a 50 Cadillac, one of them was a 54. 
uh, station wagon Ford that we ended up doing at the finale, the two-hour finale of Monster Garage. So I've been fortunate enough to you know be involved with all the newer guys as well as, uh, as the legends, so to speak, the older guys. Uh, so it's been a, a very uh, rewarding uh, career to be able to be involved that many years. So uh, I'm quite fortunate. <laughs> Okay, now some of the other cars that, um, we'll backtrack here for a second, some of the other cars that made it to the model scene, to Monogram, uh, is, I think, uh, the Futurista was one, the Cosma Ray was another one, and then the uh, Ultima model, that would look similar to the Silhouette, which I'm not sure, I don't remember who did that car, but I remember having that kit, too, as well. Which one was it? The Ultra. Oh, the Ultra That was like the little pickup truck, the little orange one? Yeah, right, that was one of my cars, yes, uh That was a cool piece. I struggled with that model, too. I had a hard time with it. The monograms were a little tough. I mean, they were a little bit above my skill level because most oh, of the right. AMTs, okay. <laughs> it was tough, you know. Uh, sure. The, uh, now, what was that car based on, the Ultra? The Ultra truck we, is basically a handmade body, although uh, we did actually start with a, a 57 Chevy pickup. So it was a somewhat of a pickup. I mean, the doors are still there somewhat, but the rest of it is pretty much handmade out of metal. So. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, of course, like you say, a model. Uh, and by the way, it's being restored right now in uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, an owner actually had the car for, you know, we gave that car away, Monogram did, in a model car contest. And a guy in the New York area won the car. And then it uh, ended up going, uh, that guy bought it to, from a guy that won it. And then he moved to Las Vegas and was a contractor out there building casinos. He's had the car for over 30 years. He's just now brought it out of storage, so to speak. I thought the car had been destroyed and gone, and then all at once it shows up. And he's actually restoring it, and I recently just built a new top for it. So the bubble top, it got broke over the years. Wow. It's uh, good to see that some of the cars come out of the woodworks that sometimes do get lost and do show up occasionally. So that was rewarding. How about the uh, Futurista? That was, if I remember correctly, that was that little three-wheeler that you did, and I think they made a model of that, too, didn't they, Monogram? Exactly. And that, that was, was based a on a Volkswagen? And uh, the car, unfortunately, it got destroyed. Uh, Monogram owned the car. I actually built the car for the model car company, and then they built the model of it. And they were touring it around the country, and the car got turned upside down on an open-bed trailer up in Minnesota in a snowstorm, believe it or not. And... Uh, I ended up with the car in a wrecked position, but uh, or a wrecked condition, but uh, it never was actually restored. Back in those days, you know, those type cars didn't have a lot of value uh, as the years went by, and uh, so unfortunately, it has disappeared or gone away. I should say. Hmm. Now, of course, my favorite, the Lil Coffin. Tell us about the, the Lil Coffin. The Lil Coffin actually started and was owned by Dave Stuckey, which was a fellow in high school that come to my shop and wanted a job, and he was driving this old beat-up 32 sedan that he'd been playing with and driving to high school. And uh, he wanted a job, and his main purpose of getting a job there at the shop and learning something about doing it was he wanted to build a car or or own a a street rod or a hot rod, whatever you want to call it in them days, more like a hot rod. But it was in pretty sad shape when he went to work for me. Him and I together, then, as he worked the first several years, built the car into the first uh, version of the little coffin. It was actually on the cover of Carcraft uh, magazine back in them days in, in its original form. This was 1955 or six, 
and then in like '60, uh, he redesigned the car and uh, rebuilt it into the, what we see today as a little coffin. While he's working with me, of course, and together we we built it into the model form like it is today. But he owned the car. But at the point that we got it all finished, they made the model of it, and uh, he actually sold the car to Monogram Model Company, and they made the model of it. Uh, so. How did you get that cantilever roof? I mean, it look, it's obviously chopped, um, but how did that cantilever roof? I mean, that thing's got to be seven, eight feet long. How? Does, what supports that to keep that from uh, moving back and forth? Was there what did you have in there to reinforce that? Well, right behind the seat. Uh, of course, we didn't have back seats in it, it, although it was a sedan. But right behind the seat, we actually had a chrome roll bar that was built right into the frame okay. and held the top up, actually. Okay, because you don't really see that. I mean, you kind of do if you really look, and, and I remember mm-hmm. that in the kit. But uh, so Okay, so that's what basically the big support. But it was just really, really cool the way they did that and the way they put the little scoops or the little uh, that reveal the little indentations in the end of the roof there and then, of course, right. the material. That, was that in my opinion, was always one of my favorite cars. I just thought that was really, really neat. Well, unfortunately, I just in the last couple of years have totally restored the car to absolute prestige condition, and uh, it's in the museum now on display, and... Uh, it's just, uh, you know, uh, a real, like you say, one of the, and I have people come in almost every day and say, gee, this is my favorite car of all time. So mm-hmm. it's good that we've saved the car and got it back in perfect shape. Well, that, you know, the coolest thing about the kit was the skeleton. So, and I know you mentioned to me off air, you actually have a skeleton in there on display with the life-size version of the car, right? About got to have that, because uh, like you said to me earlier, you know, one of the things you remember about the car was the skeleton. Yeah. It's amazing how many people tell me that exact story. So uh, we do have a skeleton with it, of course. That's cool. So out of all the cars that you've done, you know, which, are, which one is like one of your favorites? Which one brings back the most memories to you that, you know, that gave you the great joy as well as the challenge? I mean, which, which one sticks, which one's dear to you? answer to that, and I get that question asked quite often. I always say the next one. The next one, okay. It seems like when you build a car, uh, you think, gee, this is the greatest thing I ever did, and then you do the next one, and it's the greatest thing I ever did, or in my mind, you know. So I always say the next one, but to answer your question as far as uh, looking back and picking my favorite out of all the cars I've done, of course, that would have to be the predictor, because that's where I got, uh, you know, my most national recognition, where my career really high... Uh, you know, all at once exploded nationwide, and uh, even give me the, you know, the name of the bubble top king. So, mm-hmm. so it's definitely my favorite to predict it. Now, what kind of projects are you working on now? Are you doing any more bubble top bubble top cars? Matter of fact, I, I just finished a bubble top car called the Spaced Out, and I built out of a thirty-four Buick. Believe it or not, it's more of a, a rod type thing. And uh, but I'm also building right now. It's it, I actually finished it about a year ago, spaced out. And uh, but right now I'm building a '57 Cadillac Brome that has a bubble top on it. So it should be done by early spring or or midsummer. The uh, to digress for a second, the uh, Batmobile um, that car started out as I think a '55 or '56 Lincoln, and it was some sort of a futuristic thing that they used. Or it was the Ford Futura or something like that that they built. Right. Um, was that? 
did I, I what was the timeline of it? did that was that before you started doing your bubble tops or did that about the same time or did that car come out afterwards cuz that, that car, car was in the fifth the actual futura now the uh, of course the batmobile come out many years later right you know after cuz it was in the what, late 60s that it actually came out but uh the Futura uh, came out in in '55, okay. and of course I started my shop in '54. But the Predictor actually wasn't built until 1959, so okay. it was an experimental call, car called Futura. In fact, uh, it was featured in a movie called It Started with a Kiss, which had uh, Debbie Reynolds and Glenn Ford in it. When I saw that movie, uh, I said, "Gee, you know, that's the neatest thing I ever seen—a bubble top car." You know, so. That really what inspired me to, to look and, and dwell into the the bubble top effect. Although it was a kind of a poorly done uh, bubble top, but it was a bubble top. Now the bubble tops that you use, you basically had those custom made. So there was actual molds made, and they were basically tailored to fit the car. It's not like you took something and cut it and modified it. I mean, they were actually specifically purpose built for those particular custom cars that you were doing. Yes, uh, I've done about 15 uh, bubble top cars, and they all have their own distinct bubble top uh, and a very intricate part of the design of the car rather than just a a bubble stuck on top off of something else, you know. And I do build a tool. It's actually not not a mold, but a tool that does form the plastic into the shape that I want. Oh, really? That's interesting. Now, how, what does that tool look like? I mean, is that a fairly big tool, sizable tool to make? Because those the the radius on those things has got to be what uh, four or five feet. Right. And then, but, actually, the tool is a is a box uh, made out of wood. Actually, and uh, the bubble is actually free blown. Uh, the only thing that determines the shape of the bubble is the outer limits of the of the cockpit itself. And then I usually put a restrictor up through the middle of it which makes the double effect. But the rest of the bubble is actually free-blown, much like a balloon, with air pressure. You know, we heat the plastic up, put it in this box tool that I have, and it blows up inside of it and takes the shape, a natural shape, because of the opening shape and the restrictor I have down the middle of it. So it's a fairly simple operation, but yet... uh, uh, very effective. Well, now, is it is the plastic come in basically like a big giant sheet? Is that is that am I correct thinking that? So you got a big sheet and then you exactly right drape uh, it over. The one of my Cadillac that I'm just doing right now was actually made out of a 12 foot by six foot sheet of plastic, quarter inch thick uh, lucite plastic actually. Okay, and that's heated up in a big oven and uh, why it's still hot. Of course, put in this tool and it blows up. From from my air pressure, actually. Okay. Now you also have a book that's out. Tell us a little bit about your book. What all? What you know? When people acquire that book, what all can they expect to read in there and find out about you? Right. It's a complete uh, rundown of my history, actually, starting right from the very beginning up to uh, a couple years ago that I did the book. So it was right up to that point, and uh, it covers. It has over a hundred cars in full color of cars, you know, are more radical cars I've done over the years, plus tells a full story of, of myself and my many uh, <laughs> adventures, so to speak, over the years. But it is a, a full uh, table, uh, coffee table type uh, hardbound book. It has like 300 pages, and uh, it's called The Bubble Top King. And, it, and you can get it on my website, which is DarylStarber.com. And... Uh, they're available here at the museum, of course. 
Okay, and the museum is in Oklahoma, just outside of Tulsa. So if they want to, uh, to yeah, basically the website, right? And then, uh, how is the excuse me? <clears throat> is the museum open seven days a week? The museum is open every day but Tuesday. Okay, and but we do close in uh, uh, January, February. Oh, okay. Because of the weather, weather, and we're we're on a big lake, and it's in a uh, more like a tourist area, and so we don't have much going on up here. We're about 60 miles out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, actually, on a big recreational lake called Grand Lake. So uh, we do close down those two months. And, of course, I do my car shows that I produce uh, in those months also, which takes me away from the area here. So. Okay. So you're on the road then a lot in some of the during the summertime, basically? You go to a lot of shows and you do a lot? No, no? mostly during the wintertime. Actually. Oh, really? My show, indoor shows are, are basically all in the wintertime, although I do do, you know, like Louisville, Street Rod National, some of the bigger outdoor events in the summertime. But the, most of the bigger shows, you know, like the Detroit Autorama, my Tulsa, a Go for the Gold show, uh, the big Oakland, or not Oakland, it's the show, the Grand National, the Grand National. show, all done in the wintertime. So okay. that's the big shows that I try to attend, of course. How many, do you take cars with you then on tour, so to speak, too? Yes, we do. How many yeah. cars do you usually take? Well, I have one trailer that hauls two cars now and another car, single car trailer. But uh, for many years, I had a big, uh, I had two rigs. One held five cars, the other one held three cars that we toured the country with for years and years. But the last five or six years, I've just had these two three car rigs. I gotcha. Now, we got about three minutes left, Daryl. You got a quick story that's kind of cool that you could tell us that uh, would bring a chuckle to everybody's face? Uh, yeah, being a, a Florida person down there, I remember in 1960, uh, I had just finished the predictor, and uh, a fellow, which you all recognize, of course, Big Daddy or Ed Roth, uh, had just finished his Outlaw, which was his first uh, really wild rod, although it wasn't a bubble top, it was his first rod. We both toured together to Florida to the uh, Miami Mobilorama at that time in 1960. And, uh, of course, at that point, uh, we were both somewhat nationally famous. So, uh, you know, the promoter down there said, Daryl, you know, you come down here and I'll give you $500 for for the show. And got a hold of Ed and they said, we'll give you 250 Ed. And so on the way down there, we got to talking and I said, hey, Ed, I'll, you know, I'll you out here. I got 500 a week. You only got 250 Well, as it turned out, he also got T-shirt rights. And he would sell twelve dozen T-shirts. He was sending home a thousand bucks, and I was sending home two fifty. So he had the last life, of course. But over and above that, uh, when we got down there, he was pulling his center single car trailer with the outlaw in it. And I come out of the show after we got this car all set up, and he's out in the parking lot there with his trailer open, and he's inside with his little Coleman cooker uh, cooking his beanie weenies. <laughs> The only thing he forgot or didn't know was that the promoter had given us a big uh, a room in the hotel. His <laughs> feed was in there, and I was in there eating great, and he was out in his trailer. But even when he found out he had a room in the big hotel there, which he put us up in, uh, he preferred to stay in his trailer and eat his beating we need. So, but the point being is that's the type of guy he was. He, he, he was quite a character. 
That's cool. That's a good story. Um, now, uh, you, one of the things is, that, uh, do you ever come to Florida for any of the events that we have down here? You know, I haven't been there for a few years. Uh, I did do a, an outdoor event uh, with uh, uh, Murphy the Striper, but uh, I haven't done one for several years, no. Because we have a couple big shows here a year, and now we got this new one that will be coming up in uh in the fall, and I would love to invite you to do to participate, and it's called the Festivals of Speed, and it's typically highlighting exotic cars. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to branch out and really make that kind of a an all around show. And I, I was talking to Chip Foose, and Chip says he'll participate if I can get this venue. And what I'd really like to do is have kind of like a mini uh, Grand National event here and get some really really cool contemporary designers and some legendary designers like yourself so what i'll do is i'll send you some information on that and when that takes place here uh in the fall of next year um we'll, we'll get you uh we'll get you involved but anyway i want to okay. thank you for coming Sounds on the good. show and uh i'd love to have you on again sometime uh, our guest this evening was daryl starberg the legendary bubble top king and i want to thank everybody for tuning in to nostalgic radio and cars we'll see you next week i will be in town uh, meantime, everybody drive carefully, stay safe, and love your family. And, Daryl, I'll catch you off air here in a few minutes. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay, WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay, KLRG, Sheridan, Little Rock, and FM 94.5, K233BF, Little Rock. CNN Radio, I'm Edgar Tragitz. In Fort Bragg, North Carolina today, President Obama welcomed U.S. troops home from Iraq as the full withdrawal is set to be complete by the end of the month. CNN's Dan Lothian reports on how Mr. Obama used the occasion. A senior aide here at the White House said that the trip to uh, Fort Bragg today was really a turn-the-page moment for the country. The president, during his remarks, delivered a mix of triumphs and challenges. Uh, He saluted the troops and the family members as well and also made the case that Iraq, while not perfect, is stable. It was a day filled with gridlock on Capitol Hill on issues including the payroll tax cut and a measure to keep the government from shutting down. House Speaker John Boehner says there's a bipartisan bill out of the House that can keep the government running. We believe that uh, the responsible thing to do is to move this. Uh, But I'm tired of hearing what the Senate can't do. Uh, I think it's time for us uh, to wait and see what the Senate can do. Meanwhile, late in the afternoon, Senate Democrats gave word they have a new proposal to extend the payroll tax cut. It would drop the provision for a tax on incomes over a million dollars to pay for the program. A group of African-American church leaders say they'll join the ranks of the Occupy Wall Street movement in Washington. Many consider the move a way to link income inequality and social injustice. Florida A&M University is now the target of a financial fraud investigation. CNN's George Howell says it comes in the wake of the alleged hazing-connected death of band drum major Robert Champion. Because of the, uh, the investigation into Robert Champion, they came across uh, this new information about financial irregularities, and now they have launched another investigation independent of that of Robert Champion. There is a new low in the numbers of married couples. Only 51% of American adults are married, according to the Pew Research Center. For news anytime, go to Yelp. Have you ever thought about saying goodbye to your job? 
Just walking into your boss and saying, I quit. How would you like to commute to work without ever leaving your home? Not long ago, a 39-year-old entrepreneur from a billionaire family spent $20 million and three years to find the best home-based business in North America. He researched 70 different companies, and when he found the only one that had real long-term potential, he bought it right now. He's looking for people to help him turn this company into his next billion-dollar success story. If you're serious about making money from your home without having to leave your home, well, grab a pen, because I'm about to give you the address of a website where you can learn all about this unique and rare opportunity. Write this down, warren.createmyfuture.com. Now, get in your